Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-11. through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we gather this morning seeking your wisdom, seeking your guidance. And so as your words are poured into our souls through scripture, through the spoken word, through music, through prayer, through the power of your never still spirit, speak to us so that we might hear clearly and be transformed so that we would leave this place not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So you get to the fall and you hear the word stewardship and you immediately anchor it that it is definitely fall. It is definitely time for the church to talk about money, but actually I wanna change it. I want us to think about the word stewardship and think that this is a year-round conversation. And it's not just about money, it's about how we use all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, how we use them throughout the year for the good of God's kingdom. We think about stewardship in the terms of money, though. We need to see it not so much as the church is asking for money, but that our resources, our financial gifts, are the catalyst for ministry. They're the seedbed, the catalyst for ministry so that the church can be God's greatest hope for the world right here and right now. Now, if you understand a little bit of what this looks like, this idea of a seedbed, you think about planting things that take a while to come in. A few years ago in Thomasville, one of the youth programs that we did that night was we wanted to sort of teach this lesson to kids about doing really good and God-sized vision with our resources. So we talked all through a lesson very similar scripture to what we read here out of Corinthians that Louise shared with us this morning. And we talked about that, and at the end of the night, I, I had gone to the bank earlier in the week, and I'd gotten a stack of brand new $5 bills. And I looked at the kids and said, this week you have homework. 
Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, they're like, oh, I went to church to get away from school. Yeah, well, sometimes we get you still. And so I hand him a $5 bill. and you've got this brand new, crisp, never been circulated $5 bill. Your homework this week is do something amazing with it. Do something that's God-sized vision with it. Do something wonderful for someone else. I, just do something great. There's one rule. Actually, there's two. There's two rules. One, don't do something like take your best friend out to lunch. That's not God-sized vision. That's just buying lunch for your friend. Don't get me wrong. That's generous and kind. And maybe you should take your friends out to lunch. But that's not what I want to do. I want to think bigger on a much more global, world-changing kind of scale. The other rule was that in two weeks, we were going to get back together and we were going to share what we had done and what we noticed the result of these seeds that we were planting. So as it was a Tuesday or Wednesday before that second youth group meeting where we were going to share everything, and I opened the local newspaper up, and much to my surprise was Jessie Beck, right there in the inside flap, and she was standing there next to the deputy sheriff or the town policeman, I can't remember which one it was, but anyway, she was there, and as the story goes, there was this whole article about how Jessie and her friends had bought stuffed animals. They had bought stuffed animals for the police force, both the sheriff's office and the police department. And the, what they had learned at one of their service club meetings, they had learned that the police and the sheriffs like to have these stuffed animals in the bag in the trunk of the car. So if they came across children in dire situations, children with trauma, that they could give them a stuffed animal to hold on to and help cushion the tension that they were in. Well, they'd heard about this, and apparently, as the story gets told, she said, I'd gone to youth group at church, and I got all excited, like, oh my gosh. And I thought, any moment now, my name is going to appear in the paper, right? It didn't. That's okay. Jesse says, my youth minister is like, ah, so close, gave us $5 and told us to do something big with it. And so what she had done is gathered together with the girls that she ate lunch with and told them this story. And so they all decided to take the $5 that I had given her and their other money, and they went and bought stuffed animals. And so that was the genesis of the article. They bought these stuffed animals for the police and the sheriff's deputies in the Thomasville area so that they would have them in case they came across children in traumatic situations. That was pretty cool. But here's the rest of the story. You know, we had by this time, two or three years later, we had moved away from Thomasville and we're living in Huntersville. But Mary had gone back to Thomasville to visit some friends. And while she was there, she was in a car accident. Now, she was fine. Everything was great. But the car was totaled. Clara was five. Anna was one. You know, not really what you wanted to have happen. So there was a lot of angst and tears and worry. And sure enough, when the police officer comes to do the accident report and kind of sort everything out, He sees what's going on, goes to the trunk of his car, and grabs two stuffed animals. Now, when that seed had been planted three years earlier, had I known that my kids would have been the recipient of that, it would have been really, oh, that's really cool. But I had no idea that that seed that we planted in youth group would benefit other children, but even my own. All because we had this idea that our financial resources are a catalyst for ministry within our community. 
Paul, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's writing about how they order life for the church, and he's talking about this idea of generosity, and he uses the metaphor of sowing seed. Now, many of us in the fall, we take a look at our yard, and after the summer that we've had, we kind of go, uh, I mean, it's dead, right? And so we think, okay, this is the year. This is the year that I'm going to have lawn of the year. I'm going to have a lawn that looks just like they would have at Panther Stadium or at Fenway Park. I'm going to, I'm going to aerate and I'm going to put down all the good nutrients and all the good fertilizer. I'm going to bring in the best topsoil and I'm going to have the best yard ever. But you know as well as I do that you can do all that work and if you take a bag of seed and you're chintzy with the way you scatter your seed, you know what your yard's going to look like very sparse, kind of greenish, right? But if you throw that seed out, you throw it out wide and far, you throw out lots of seed in abundance of it, and sure enough, as the weather cools, as the rain falls like it's going to do today, as that happens, what happens? Our yard begins to grow and it becomes this lush, full green forest of grass. It's perfect. See, I think when Paul was using this analogy, this metaphor, if you will, with the people of Corinth, he knew kind of what he was talking about. That if we would take our resources and if we would share them, if we would practice our stewardship, our scattering of seed of our financial resources, that we too could do great things and the garden, the, the lawn of God's kingdom will be full and lush. See, our giving provides this world-altering discipleship, world-changing evangelism, world-shaking missions and service. And so the impact of what has happened with the resources we give to the church is amazing, but yet there's still more for us to do, is there not? I mean, think about it. When God called you by name and said, follow me, you were called into a deeper relationship with God. You were called into this sort of path of discipleship. And I don't know about you, but when you put your money in the collection plate, do you ever wonder what it does for the discipleship ministries of this church? Do you ever wonder what kind of an impact it makes on how we build and make disciples in this place? Phil alluded to it earlier when we talk about our children's ministry. See, it starts in the nursery. So many people think of nursery care as sort of child care at church. But let me tell you what it really is. It's faith formation at its very basic level. When our children go to the nursery, they realize that they are loved, that they are valued, that it's a safe place that they're cared about, that they are God's precious children. And while they are with our nursery workers and volunteers, they see the kingdom of heaven lived out on earth. Through our baptism classes and our baptism programs, we baptize children, we pledge our support to nurture them along their way of discipleship. Soon it begins with Sunday school and then Bible school. We talked about third grade Bibles earlier when Phil shared that. I mean, when we give kids their very own copy of God's Word, we say to them, this book matters. It's the roadmap for your life, and we want you to have your own copy so that you may navigate all the days of your life. It continues with children's choir created by God, summer mission camp. But pretty soon our children begin to outgrow children's ministry. And they begin to enter that wonderful world of adolescence. Now, what I love about what Tyler and Tammy do in our youth ministry program is they looked at it and they realized that sixth graders, while they're in middle school, sixth graders are kind of like an island of their own. 
If you've got a sixth grader or you remember sixth grade, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, in sixth grade, they're no longer children. They're definitely not adults. They're not really even normal teenagers, are they? I mean, they're just... They're an entity to their own, and it's a tough year. So Tyler and Tammy said, you know what, let's just have a Sixers program so that we can nurture our sixth graders and they build community amongst themselves. They're allowed to be fully who they are in all of the craziness that is that in-between stage of life. But then from sixth graders, we have our Sunday school programs, our youth groups. We begin to teach youth about the joys of fellowship with church league basketball and love thy neighbor and then service with mission trips. But it's not just there. Once we sort of have them up to where they take faith and own it for themselves through confirmation, we then send them out into the world as young adults to be part of our young adult ministry, to join in with our small groups and our Sunday school programs for adults, and ultimately as we all mature through life, we have our great senior adult ministry. All of this is a part of what we do for discipleship ministries. And of course, it is surrounded by a cocoon of support with staff and facilities and supplies. And sometimes we ask ourselves, that's an awful lot that we pour into disciple making. Does it work? Well, let me ask you, with a, with a utility bill of $178,000, let me tell you, that seems like an awful lot of money in our budget. But when you think about it, what would this place be like in the middle of July if the air conditioner didn't turn on? Or the lights didn't work. Or in the middle of the winter when it was cold outside and we were offering love thy neighbor to give people a place to be warm and to have a hot meal. What would our ministry be like? See, all of this begins to work together. And we ask ourselves, are we making a difference? Are we having an impact in discipleship making? Well, let me give you two observations. One, let me tell you, the grass is lush and full in the lawn of discipleship in this church. We have one of our own who heard God's call in her life, and she is in seminary down in Emory, hoping to be commissioned this year to go into full-time ministry, serving a church somewhere in Western North Carolina next year this time. We have two others of our college students who are exploring their own call to ministry and what God has laid on their lives. And then we have yet another young adult who she is trying to figure out what God is exactly calling her to, but she knows it's ministry. Friends, no one answers the call to ministry unless they've been nurtured through a strong discipleship program in their church. But that's sort of at one end of the adult spectrum, if you will. But let me tell you where our ministries are working. We can take it down to our children. We've got a first grader in our congregation who has been nurtured by you, by Sunday school teachers, by Bible school, by her parents, been given a Bible as a kindergartner, and she's got it. And yet this summer, she decides she wants to do a lemonade stand. I mean, every kid wants to do a lemonade stand, right? Make a little money. It's kind of fun, but not her. She wants to do a lemonade stand and make a little money so that she can support hope. That feeding ministry started by our church to help our people eat. She wants to then take her resources that she makes from this lemonade stand to help feed the world. Oh, the grass is lush and green, is it not? Because we scattered seeds for discipleship ministry. But you know, that's just right here and now, but I think our future is even brighter. Our discipleship team, we want to put together this intentional discipleship program so that we're very clear from cradle to grave how we're nurturing each other and growing in the faith.
We want to look at new opportunities to start ministries like a special needs ministry for those who have the individuals and their families with them. We want to create new groups and new opportunities to innovate faith development so that we meet people right where they are that are relevant and important for today's times and places and our busy schedules. Why? Because we believe that discipleship making is what we're about. And we know the results of that in the world around us will be great if we do a good job of it. See, our giving provides a place for us to grow and to serve and to care. It helps us deepen our understanding of God's call upon our lives. But as we do that, as we begin to deepen that understanding, we begin to realize that it's not inwardly focused, that we are called to actually be outwardly focused in the world around us, that we're called to go out into the world and invite people to join and be a part of who we are and what we're about here at Centenary. I mean, we do this already in our daily lives. I've got a couple of coworkers that they are all about shoes. They have sort of this joy of a good shoe deal. And so whenever one of them finds out there's a good shoe, them, a shoe deal, they make sure everybody else on staff knows. I mean, you do the same, right? Maybe it's not with shoes. Maybe it was for the restaurant or something at the hardware store or that perfect golf club that you've just bought. But somehow or other, if you find a good deal, you want to share it. Well, the same is true for our faith. The same is true for what's happening here at the church. We have some great things that are happening and we want to share about them. We want to invite the world in to be a part of it. And our giving impacts how we do that. Our giving scatters seeds of evangelism so that people are aware of what's happening as we look out across the lawn of Centenary United Methodist Church and realize that we have a mission in the world. We have ministries that are designed to bring people in and open their hearts up to the possibilities of faith-based formation and discipleship. Our music and the arts ministry brings people in, uses the arts to open their heart up in ways that Bible studies may not, so that they realize that there is so much to God's created world to dial our hearts into. Our congregational care and shining light on mental health ministries help people in the world realize that they are not alone, that this is a place where we care about people's well-being and health and mental acumen. Our four worship services are very unique, very individual, very well designed, very well choreographed, not just because we want the quality of it to be high, that's true, but we want them to speak in different voices and different songs and different genres because we feel like that as people walk in the door, they're going to find that worship service that dials their heart in to what's important to them so that they hear what God wants for their lives. And then our hospitality ministry, they have but one purpose. They have one unified goal that they want to welcome, they want to connect, and they want to engage people that walk in the door. So that when someone walks in, they feel like this is the place they belong, a place where they can connect and a place where they can dig deep in their service, faith, and love for God. Well, let me tell you, thanks to your giving, it works. It works. I had a woman in my office just about two weeks ago, and she said, Glenn, I was really intimidated when I saw the church. I wanted to come in, but I looked at it. It looks so, so imposing. 
But when I walked in the door, before I even got in the sanctuary, in that little space that is out there in the narthex, when I walked in the door, I was so warmly embraced and so warmly welcomed that I knew that I was home even before the first note of the worship service was played. Jeremy set off this first of the year. He had a goal that we would bring in 100 new members. Last year we brought in 49, that we would bring in 100 new members this year. Just this week he told me that we're already at 49 and we still have two and a half months of the year to go. Do I think we can get 100? Oh yeah, I think we can. Because of what this place is able to do. Because you're helping us invite people and helping us bring people, connect them and engage them and make them feel welcome. See, when we scatter seeds for evangelism, it's truly working. We're truly making a difference in the world around us, inviting people to be in and a part of us so that we will grow. But we have bigger dreams. So we have this dream that our, all of our worship services would be at 80% capacity or greater because what that means is that more people have come in and have united in fellowship with us and in uniting in fellowship that they are being equipped to go out and serve. We have this dream that every one of us that calls ourselves members of Centenary United Methodist Church, that we are engaged in ministry on an individual basis, that we all have one place, one job that we're doing, that we all are just invested up to our elbows in everything, but clearly focused on the ministries of this church. So as we think to the future, our giving scatters seeds to make these dreams a reality. But as we grow together, as we bring people in, we realize that our outward focus also compels us to make a difference in the world, to make a real change in those things that we see that are contrary to God's creative purpose, those things that we see that are contrary to what God's hope for the world is. Last week at Worship in the Park, I shared with you about the world as our parish and that our collective calling was to work through the United Methodist Church to make a difference. Part of our giving does that. We add our dollars together with dollars from other Methodist churches and through this collaborative effort, we're able to do things like provide affordable seminary degrees to build churches in emerging countries. But there's one thing that I'm most proud of and that's our disaster response. When I think of what the hurricanes have caused, havoc they've wreaked in the, the Caribbean last year and this year and even out on the Outer Banks, I think of folks at Ocracoke or the Bahamas or Puerto Rico. I think about how will they rebuild? And then I smile with pride because they'll rebuild because of the people called United Methodists. See, my brothers and sisters, we are a first in, last out organization. Right after the disaster clears, right after the weather or whatever it might be clears and all of the agencies begin to pour in, it's FEMA, the Baptist men, the Salvation Army and the United Methodist Committee on Relief. But soon those organizations clear out and long after the news anchors have turned their eyes to some other disaster or some other catastrophe around the world or whatever is in the 24-hour news cycle, the United Methodist Church is still there. And we will still be there until all the disaster recovery is done. We're the last organization to leave because we believe strongly in our relief efforts, collaboratively in what we're doing. 
That's how our resources have an impact. But our resources have an impact here locally as well. I think about what we're doing through our missions committee. We're providing hope to the incarcerated, safety for women in crisis, assistance to the homeless, care for the children at Crossnor, helping the at-risk and the hungry, because we believe in the gospel imperative to love our God and love our neighbor with all of our heart, all of our might, and all of our soul. Sure, our giving helps those agencies that we partner with, but we're doing even more. We're trying to make a dent in the ills of the world by being clearly focused on the things that matter to us. But there is so much more. I've shared with you that we have this hope and dream to double our missions dollars, but let me tell you, if we do that, it's not just doubling our opportunity. It's really logarithmically changing it. Because as we pour more money into our partnership agencies, we want to pour right alongside it our human capital. That's our hands, our feet, our hearts, minds, and souls, where we're not only helping fund the ministries that we support, but we're helping carry them out. That's part of our dream. I learned this week a statistic that really troubles me that Winston-Salem is second per capita in the nation for poverty that we are second per capita for poverty in the nation. And I think to myself, with what we want to do and with what God is calling us to do, I think our church can make a dent. I mean, I think we can make a real dent. Where those statistics change and that we fall further down that list, we find ourselves in a better position somewhere in the next five years. Because we said we want to scatter seeds of change in our community. So my brothers and sisters, here's what I hope. I hope this week as you think about your pledge card, your estimate of giving card, you don't see that as a financial instrument, but instead I want you to see it as a packet of seeds. And I want you to pray over that packet. I want to pray over, I want you to pray over and think about what is it that you can do? What are your hopes and dreams that our church will do with the seeds that we're going to help scatter? And next week when you bring your packet of seeds alongside my packet of seeds, alongside your neighbor's packet of seeds, that we will have a bag so full of seed that when we scatter it out upon the world, that the lawn comes up rich, green, thick, and full. And the world sees that Centenary United Methodist Church is engaged in a generous mission to change the world for all of us. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.